Hey, aloha, everybody, and welcome to Coffee with Coach. It's not really Coffee with Coach today. It's Pellegrino with Coach because I got up early and went surfing, and I did my coffee uh, this morning about 4.30. So it's all good. A little San Pellegrino is good for the soul. How you doing, Michael? San Pellegrino with Coach. I, I like it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good. Fred's already in saying evening, Mahalo tribe. It's Jeff. It's just, it's it, for, for people listening to this podcast or watching this live now. Jeff is 11 hours behind the UK, Ireland, 12 hours behind Central Europe. You're basically living on, on a different planet, man. Come on. Like, this is like, I am living thing. on, I am living on a different planet, but right now I'm living on my Lanai and it's kind of a, we've had, it's been about six days since we've really seen the sun much around here. So it's been really rainy. It's the spring here. So I guess that's, you know, what you get. But today when I was surfing, I watched the, the uh, big cruise ship come into Hilo Bay. And I thought to myself, man, them poor people paid all that money to come on, to come to Hawaii. And they've had rain for probably the last four days. So, hey, you take your chances, I guess. Speaking of taking your chances, my man, huh? We are getting close to the draft. And I mean, so close you can smell it. Two weeks to go. Can you believe? Apparently, and I, I don't know if you can confirm this. Are you in Vegas? Are you going to confirm this now live in the show? Or is this like a like a TBC sort of thing? Right. Am I in Vegas right now? No, like, w will you be in Vegas in, in, in two weeks? Is, is this the... The plan, or can you confirm it, or is it still TBC? You know, is it? Let me ask you a question. Is it a big event? It's it's Vegas, Jeff. It's a big event. It's it's a big. That's a big few days, like Vegas, and it's only what well, like three, five hours in the flight for you. Yeah, no, it's about seven. Uh, but Ooh. you know what? If it's a big event, then coffee with coach got to be there. So Ooh. I would anticipate that you will see us at the draft. I am going to put a live disclaimer in and say that I am not going to be in Vegas. However, I know Oliver is going to come on in about 10 minutes and go through, uh, I think, linebackers tonight, Jeff, and I'm excited because this is a really stacked defensive draft. Uh, but one thing I wanted to talk to you about before we started was, I, I know you've probably seen it over the weekend, uh, awful news. Uh, Dwayne Hoskins, uh, dead at 24 years of age. This is a guy that was picking up his career again, really. It, you know, and I'm 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 being as positive as I can be. He was doing really really well in Pittsburgh. Was doing very well with the ownership. They were very fond of him. It's just awful, Jeff, isn't it? Like I'm, I'm presuming you got to watch a lot of his tape whenever he was in college, and obviously when he came into the NFL as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's just really a sad, sad thing. You know, anytime a, a young life is taken like that, and um, you know it. it uh, the details of it are all kind of sketchy, but apparently he was hit by a car, you know, trying to cross the highway. You know, it just doesn't matter how how it happened. The bottom line is here's a guy that, you know, had had a great career at Ohio State, drafted number one by his hometown team, and then, you know, struggled and under the expectation and the weight of all of that, was released found a home in Pittsburgh. And according to everybody, I agree, Mike, everything I've heard was that uh, the ownership liked him. People in the team liked him. Uh, you know, Mike was a big fan of his. And so, you know, when, when you sort it all out, it's just like, why, you know, it's one of those ones we, we uh, can never answer, but I tell you what it does do is it, it, it reaffirms how, precious life is and how how you know how every day is one you gotta you gotta be thankful for and you gotta say your blessings and uh you know i just really really feel for his family and everybody all of his friends i completely agree jeff and i can't really say much more than what you said there i think you said it that well just obviously rest in peace uh, to the way and his family it's going through an awful time and it's hard to believe and it's I guess football comes secondary when it comes to this shocking news at the weekend. I'm trying to think, has there been anything else that's really picked up? There hasn't been a lot over the last couple of days, Jeff. Obviously, talk about the draft. 
Um, today, the Seahawks picked up the fifth-year option on Melvin Gordon. It's not, not Melvin Gordon, sorry, Noah Fant, who was traded in the Russell Wilson trade. There hasn't been any you know, massive, massive pieces of news over the last couple of days, but has there been anything that really sort of shots out to you, if, if we're even talking about it now? Well, I think the, the thing that I keep watching really close is there's a number of veteran free agents that are still out there. And I think they may be out there till after the draft as teams kind of look and see what they do draft-wise. And then, you know, it's as we get towards the draft, you know, I looked at the first round. And, Michael, I'm going to tell you, about half the teams in the first round have a need for an edge player. And that just shows you how much emphasis is put on now getting to the quarterback. As this game mm. has evolved, edge rushers are worth their weight in gold. They've become, you know, the Cadillacs on defense. It used to be the middle linebacker. Then it was the corners. Then it was the safety. Now it's your edge. you got to have great edge players. And you don't – you can't just have one. You have to have two. And so this, as you said, is a defensively stacked draft. And, you know, as you look at teams, say, for example, the Texans, who really – need a lot of things but an edge is one of the things that they need badly they're going to have the third pick in the draft and and you know they're going to be in a position to get a really really good football player now there's a as you look at those guys and we'll talk about those guys a little bit later but Aiden Hutchinson seems to be you know the guy that everybody says is the you know the the alpha male of that edge class but you know Thibodeau, Kalen Thibodeau from Oregon has got tremendous skills. There's there's a number of them. And, you know, the thing that concerns me about Hutchinson a little bit, when I watched him in the Georgia game against really good competition, he didn't play a great game, you know. And um, when you look at tape, and I think this is important that the fans understand this, as you're looking at tape, you want to see that guy against the best possible competition. And how does he play in big games? I mean, it's one thing to beat up on lesser schools, but when you got to play in a playoff atmosphere, which is the you know college football national championship playoff, uh, Michigan got pasted by Georgia. You want to make those your you know your signature moments, and I didn't think he did against Georgia. Now there's plenty of other good tape on him, but that's one that I think. You know, I would pump the brakes a little bit on that one. Uh, we're going to bring Ollie on in a couple of minutes. He is here backstage. But just firstly, we asked people for questions, Jeff, earlier on when you were lying in bed 11 hours behind us, chilling out before you went surfing. Uh, Sean Freeman, who's in the UK, says, great coverage, Jeff, on Sky, and thanking you for that there. He also says, which team really needs to box clever and pick well in this draft? I think, you know, you've talked about Houston there, but there are multiple teams that need to take advantage of where they are now because they may not be that high up again for a long time. Yeah, I think that, you know, a couple of them come to mind with me. You know, both those New York teams, I think, need to do real well, and they are in position to do real well. You know, two first-round draft choices. Um, I'm really interested to see what the Saints do because, you know, they had pushed a first-rounder into the next year and uh, when they gave it to Philadelphia and, and then they got themselves an opportunity to get two real good players in the first round, which they need because of their cap salary cap situation. Or do they package those two and go up to get a guy that they really, really want? You know, everybody's going to talk quarterback, Mike. And, you know, and, and we always should because it's the most valued position on on the field now. But. This is a very weak quarterback draft. And, you know, I, I saw, uh, you know, a comment that was made by one general manager uh, about a, a player he had taken. Um, and, and he said, well, you know, it's the quarterback, you know, quarterback position. So we're always investing in that position. But I don't know if that's a good that's a good strategy, because when you take a first round quarterback and he doesn't you know, he can't play. And, and this is a guy that was taken two years ago. And, you know, his comment was, we think he's a good player. This preseason's really important for him. If you've had that guy in your building for two years and you don't know if he's 
your franchise quarterback, then you got some issues. And, you know, I, I, I just really was shocked by that statement. You know, you, a first rounder, and this is a team now, Michael, this is a team that's been on the cusp of going to a Super Bowl. What would a first round great player, an impact guy have been worth to that football team? And, you know, I, I just, I, that's where I think teams have got to get out of this mindset that you take a quarterback in the first round. You take a quarterback in the first round if he's got first round ability. And that really is the March, April, May hype train, isn't it? Teams can almost get carried away with certain things. Before we bring Ollie on, it's going to bring him on two seconds. SA37 in Sussex says, who are your mid-round diamonds in this draft? I'm going to speculate and say David Ajabo falls to the 50s and 60s. I was going to say it for the, just for the crack. Who knows? Obviously, that injury, and I think March the 18th, his pro day was. It's awful what happened to him. Um, I'm going to say him, and I hope my team picks him up. Could you see him being available in, in the 60s, or do you think teams might look past injuries, Jeff? Or is there anybody else, just before we get Ollie on, that stands out to you? Well, you know, you think about, like, teams that have two first-rounders, right? It depends on where you're at and how you valued him. So, for example, you know, uh, Simmons a couple years ago, the defensive lineman out of uh, Mississippi State, that that the Titans took and knew that they weren't going to have him for a whole year because of a knee. But they felt like it was worth basically redshirting him, which is in college you do that if a kid gets hurt, he gets an extra year of eligibility. So, you, so he sits for a year. In the pros, people are starting to do that now on injury situations. If you feel like that player is so good, if he was healthy, you would have taken him in that spot and he's got an injury that, and an Achilles, you know, it's amazing what they're doing with, you know, post-op Achilles, you know, situations. Now it used to be a really a career threatening injury, but now it's, you know, there's so many of them that these guys have really got excellent techniques to repair it. You may just take him with a second first round pick so that you know you've got him, right? So, again, I think there's going to be a lot of jostling. I think that what you're going to see, Michael, is in the mid-rounds, there are going to be some really, really good players still on the board. There's some good tight ends. I mean, really good tight ends if you're looking for a tight end. I think, uh, you know, we talked about this uh, defensive loaded draft. There's better defensive back depth than I've ever seen. And so I think it's going to be a situation where teams may trade down knowing that there's not a great separation between a second rounder and maybe a late third and a fourth, right? So, you know, that's the old Patriot uh, strategy, which is to get more picks because the more picks you have, the better your chances of hitting, you know? Absolutely, sir. Uh, two weeks away from the People's Draft. More on that next week and how people can get involved. I've seen your face. You're a happy man. Talking about draft, talking about analysts. Uh, we've got Oliver Hodgkinson coming on here now from Pro Football Network. Check out Pro Football Network's website. you got a mock draft simulator. Oliver's loving these daily drafts or mock drafts. I, I wish I was as detailed and as analytical about the draft as, as Oliver is. Here he is. I'm going to bring him on here now. Oliver... I haven't uh, fixed the bottom of the screen. People on the podcast are listening to what? Um, are, are you getting your sleep in two weeks away? Did you watch any spring games in the weekend? Uh, I did, actually. We managed to get the Clemson spring game on. Um, our guy, Eric McLean, was uh, doing the uh, commentary live from Clemson. So we watched a bit of the Clemson. There's a quarterback controversy brewing in Clemson. So that's something to watch out for. Um, I'm not going to even attempt to try and pronounce DJ Yungalele's surname correctly. I think I might have got there then. But these, these are, uh, outstanding work on a Samoan name. That is. Thank, thank you very much. You are, you are such an inter international man of mystery. <laughs> I have to go <laughs> offline here and get some pictures. So I'll let you boys go on ahead and get your top five. I got to go Google some pictures. It's been a long day, boys. Hey, Ollie, I got I to gotta echo what Mike said. You're doing a great job, if, and I'm telling you, fans, you got to check out Ollie's work because he is really, really on top of it in this draft. 
Um, we're going to talk about the linebackers today, but I want, I'm a little more concerned about you. Are you getting any sleep at all? <laughs> not not a great deal. Not a great deal. Hey, look, it's the busiest time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, sleep sleeps for May and June. But we've got our... We've got a sun due in June, so I'm not quite sure how much sleep is going to come in June either. But uh, who, who needs sleep, right? Well, I'm going to tell you something. You don't because I, there's no way you could be doing all that work, watching all those spring games, seeing all those pro days, all that, all that stuff, and getting much sleep. So I appreciate you, though, because you're giving us great insights. Now, we're talking about linebackers today, and it's really an interesting group. And – you and I are going to have a little conversation about one of the guys that you got up there ranked real high. And um, I'm not saying that he, he doesn't belong, but it was, you know, this is where I think you got to pay attention to what Ali brings you because his process is beyond what you're going to see in most of the guys that are trying to evaluate the draft, right? Cause there's a lot of guys that just, parrot out what other people say and you know if if daniel jeremiah says it then this guy's going to say it or you know mel kuyper or whoever ali is not afraid to look at the tape and make his calls because there's a couple guys that you know each each week when we do this i i, I go oh holly i like it man <laughs> give, give me your reason but let's get going let's talk linebackers Let's talk linebackers. We're going five to one. Let's start. Let's go five to one. And we'll start with Christian Harris, the linebacker out of Alabama, who is my fifth ranked um, linebacker in this class. Christian Harris is in a, a real interesting study um, and a real interesting story as well. He came into the season with the, the, the guys who were the top two guys that we're going to discuss a little bit later on. But he came in there as um, this consensus first round pick consensus one you know one of the top three linebackers in the class um and he kind of he kind of disappeared for large swathes of the season now if you look at the statistics that christian harris put up this year they can't they're, they're pretty good they're they, they don't speak to what we saw on the tape 11 and a half tackles for loss five and a half sacks two forced fumbles for christian harris a lot of that production came in the final game of the season, the, the 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 college football national championship game against Georgia. Christian Harris was a ghost pretty much for the large part of Alabama's season, but shone on the biggest stage, the national championship, where he was, despite, the, despite defeat, you know, albeit in defeat, he put in a fantastic performance that showcased what he does bring to the football field. Um, you obviously then call into question the consistency. But let's talk about what he does well before we go into that. Fast, physical, downhill threat is probably the best way to summarise Christian Harris. Um, he's showcased some ability to be technically refined as well. He's got decent length, so you can know he can shed blockers um, quite comfortably with that technical refinement, with the length. He's got the athletic profile to be a dangerous, disruptive, fast, physical presence. Um, for Christian Harris, there's two things that I think concern and, and therefore cause to drop. Uh, and I'll go ahead and say it. I know for a fact that Christian Harris is very high on a lot of NFL teams' draft boards. Let's talk about him still being a first-round prospect for me, which I feel is, is rich. I think it's rich when you look at that the large swathes of disappearing act that you saw out of Christian Harris this year, and also the, some of the limitations that he brings to the game. And we're, we're, you're going to hear the phrase three down linebacker quite a lot over the next 20 minutes. And um, because there's guys that we're going to talk about who are true three down linebackers in this class. For me, Christian Harris, he's phenomenal against the run. He's phenomenal at getting after the quarterback, that physicality, that, that speed, that explosion, lends itself towards that element of his game. But for a kid who was a high school defensive back, there's a lot of question marks about his coverage ability. And when you're talking about being a three-down linebacker, that's being able to stay on the field and play against the pass, not just as a blitzer, but in, in coverage as well. And I think sometimes Christian Harris kind of looks a little bit lost on the field when you when he's tasked with um, the coverage element of a linebacker position. And All as... Right. as 
let, let's, let's hold on a second. I'm really glad you're talking about this because, you know, we say three down linebacker. And that's really an antiquated term because in the old days, you would get, you know, 12 personnel, 21 personnel, first and second down. And then you get, you know, you get 10 personnel, which is no tight ends, or you get 11, which is one tight end and three wide receivers on third down. And that's when you would go to nickel and one of the backers would come out. But the reality of the game today is there's teams play more nickel in a game, sometimes as much as 80% of the game in nickel and very, very little three linebacker defense or four linebacker defense if you're a three, four team. So when we say three down player, it's it that's that's kind of a antique term and this is exactly what you're talking about is why there are some questions about this guy right and that is coverage because you now are thinking about him as a middle linebacker as a mike because he he's not going to go out and play in the slot you know not based upon what's on tape Exactly, exactly. And this this is, I think, for a lot of people with um, Christian Harris's athletic skill set and some of the stuff we've just talked about there in terms of his um, how he plays the game, his size as well. He's, he's a small for a, a traditional linebacker. And, and as you say, the game's changing and linebackers do get – you don't see the six foot four, two, you know, 260-pound linebackers anymore. You don't even – you, you rarely see a guy of sort of Luke Keithley's um, um, stature in the game and frame um, as the game evolves and changes. But he is a little undersized. Um, and a, a lot of people would, would look at him and say he might even end up playing as a 3-4 uh, outside linebacker. That might be the best way to utilise his skill set um, at the NFL level. But this this this... There's not a certainty about Christian Harris's projection to the NFL as far as um, as what I see on tape for Christian Harris. Um, so I, I do think the talk of him going in the back of the first round is is a little bit rich for me. All right, all right, I like it. I agree with you. Next man up, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> oh. Next man up, Georgia linebacker Quay Walker. Now. Look at that kid. Look at that graphic as well. Shout out Angela Zanaglio at Pro Football Network for that graphic. That is a stunner. Um, Quay Walker is a guy that I've got got too late. I must admit, he was. you watch the Georgia defense and there is so many stars. There is so much going on. It's difficult to get your eyes on all these guys. We're going to talk about another Georgia linebacker a little bit later. But, you know, look at, you look at all the prospects they've got and sometimes it's it's difficult to appreciate truly what what each individual brings to the table but for me quay walker is a guy that is ascending in this draft class another another guy who's been talked about as a potential late first round prospect again a little bit rich for me but i would certainly prefer to take him late in the um late in the first than i would christian harris um as be, as part of that georgia defense he wasn't statistically a standout you know, he only had five and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks, three pass breakups. But the way that Georgia operates that defense, they rotate players in and out quite a lot. They ask players to take on different roles within that defense um, at different times. So you don't see a, a massive statistical amount of production from the Georgia defensive front seven. Um, but for me, completely the opposite to Christian Harris in that, um, Quay Walker does bring a lot of coverage ability. Very intelligent um, linebacker who, particularly in zone coverage, he's got the understanding of zone concepts. He knows um, how how to read the zone, where men are going to be coming in and out of his zone. He's he's always got his eye on the game. Very intelligent, and and this is a, a common. Th- factor that runs through Georgia defensive prospect. There's so much intelligence in that Georgia front seven. Um, but the, the, so the intelligence in the coverage, the athletic ability and coverage, sideline to sideline, lateral agility, and um, that helps Quay Walker be a, a, an interesting um, coverage linebacker. But And again, explosive and physical coming downhill. 
um, which you want to see um, from your linebacker prospect. Uh, and it's one of the things that's so fascinating about the linebacker position is there's so much responsibility, so much goes on at the linebacker position that you need to be intelligent, you need to be athletic, uh, and Quay Walker has both of those in his locker. A bigger linebacker as well, six uh, than, than Christian Harris, if we're talking comparatively. 6'3", uh, nearly 6'4", 241 pounds. Good length, good size, good physicality, good coverage ability, good run-stopping ability. Quay Walker is a, a prospect who is, I think, ascending up draft boards the closer that we get to the 2022 NFL draft. I, I think you know, if you're a team that plays out of Tampa too, that this guy can be a really, really good player as an inside backer for you. Because, you know, to be able to run down the middle in, you know, in, in Tampa too, if you get threatened by the tight end through the seam, he can do that. He also has great, I thought, as I watched him, great anticipation and he drives on the ball. We, as soon as the ball's thrown, he is on it. I mean, he, you know, and you think about it, Ollie, these these guys like from Alabama and Georgia have a real advantage in that they've been fighting to get on the field since their freshman year, right? It's, I mean, they have so much depth at those programs on defense that if you don't, if you're not on point, you're not going to see the field. So these guys understand about competition and they understand the, the sense of urgency that it takes to play at the next level. Yeah. And, and if this shows up in, um, this class, because you, you look at the Georgia defense, Quay Walker, Channing Tindall, um, another guy that we're going to talk about in a little while, um, the, the near the top of the class. Then you look at um, the defensive line, Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker, a, a guy who unfortunately is, um, there's some uncertainty about his future um, in, in Adam Anderson, who was an exceptional player, but some off the field stuff that is currently being um is or isn't being resolved that we're not going to get too too deeply into that um but the the talent is there and you, you look at one of the top um edge players in this class had to transfer away from georgia to assert himself on this class in, in florida state defensive end jermaine johnson so that's the level of talent that we're talking about in this georgia defense you could just guys after guys after guys we're not even mentioned Devonte wyatt um, as part of this conversation, uh, the defensive tackle. There, there's just so much talent. Like you say, it's competition within your own locker room to get on the field, uh, and it's competition in the SEC um, that prides itself on being the, the premier college football conference. And so there's competition aspects all all around. Um, but for Quay Walker, Quay Walker was a guy that he was predominantly bought in when they needed to make a play in coverage. You know, he they, he played to the strength of the passing game. And um, so you know that going into the NFL, Quay Walker is a guy that is not going to be any sort of liability in the passing game. In fact, he's going to be an asset in the passing game for you. What Now, his size again, he's got the length to play against the tight end. Yeah, so he's 6'3", six, six, three, three quarters, uh, 241, wingspan of just under 80 inches and 32 and 5 eighths um, arms. Yeah, so that you talk about all of those numbers, say there's a guy that, you know, again, if you're playing against a static tight end, now I wouldn't play him against Kelsey very much or those kind of guys, you know, Pitts. But, again, if you're playing with a static tight end, he's the guy that can go line up on the tight end, beat him up, carry him up the field, and play man-to-man and cover two man and all that stuff. So this guy's I, – I really like that kid. Yeah, he's, um, he's certainly ascending um, in this class. And I know um, – there's certain uh, several reports within the last couple of weeks that you know some teams see him as the best linebacker in this class, which is you know saying something. Um, when you we, we talk about the guys we're about to talk about shortly, gotcha. Now, who we got at three? One of my personal favorite players in the, the whole draft class, um, is Wyoming linebacker Chad Moomer. And um, for Cincinnati Bengals fans, they'll be familiar with Logan Wilson, who is a linebacker out of Wyoming. He's gone on and asserted himself in the NFL. I think Chad Moomer is a better prospect coming out of Wyoming than Logan Wilson was coming out of Wyoming. I think he's going to be a better NFL player as well. Um, 
good measurables, 6'2 and nearly 6'3, so 6'2 three quarters, 239 pounds, decent arm length, just under 32 inches. Um, this is a kid who is the epitome of intelligence at the linebacker position. Super smart kid who's got a nose for the ball. He is um, also a, a team captain who has been uh, an unbelievable leader for the Wyoming Cowboys football program. He's, for his size, his athleticism is, is unreal. And when you combine the intelligence and the athleticism together, you get a special player in Chad Moomer. You watch him. I've seen people say, oh, well, you know, 239 pounds. He's, he's not that. Well, if you, you watch Chad Moomer fly to the football, whether it be downhill, whether it be side to side, it's just a it's a joy to behold. Um, talking to to one of my colleagues at Pro Football Network, and you put on the Boise State game, Wyoming versus Boise State, and Chad Moomer's game against Boise State was was something truly wonderful to behold. And um, great lateral athlete, um, great downhill um, athlete, physical. Um, tackling form, not just not just the physicality that he brings, but the form that he brings to as a tackler as well. You don't see him often miss a tackle. You do often see him lay a guy in the dirt, um, and he's just you're a quarterback, you're a running back. Watching Chad Moomer come flying towards you is just that's got to be a terrifying prospect. They say all 239 pounds of him coming flying downhill, and um, but he's got that coverage ability as well. Um, he's not quite as fluid as an athlete as as um, Quay Walker, for example, in coverage. But he's still got the um, the enough athleticism to get the job done in coverage. He's got the intelligence. When you've got that intelligence, that all kind of almost gives you a, a like a step up, like a, a step advantage when you see the game at a different level to other people. It gives you that step up. Um, I think Chad Moomer is a guy who. I think it wouldn't be out of place to see him taken at the top of the second round. I look at the, the teams that are in that position. I look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're always a team that are looking for linebacker help at 33. You look at the Detroit Lions. They're a team that need linebacker help at 34. New York Jets have got two picks early on in the second round. They need linebacker. Someone to play alongside CJ Mosley. There is a lot of teams in that early second round range where I don't see Chad Moomer falling past um, any of those teams. You know, my agent had, uh, was at the Wyoming Pro Day, and I asked him about Moomer. He, he had a lot of good things to say about this kid. He said he, said he can really run, and apparently uh, he went to Wyoming as a defensive back and then grew into being a linebacker. So... You know, you look at today's linebackers and people say, well, 235 or 232 or whatever. There's there's a ton of those guys in the league right now because you have got to. I mean, you talk about shedding blocks. You're going to you're going to shed blocks a few times in a game, most games. But you're going to be in space a lot in every game now in the National Football League. What were what were his uh measurables in you know in terms of the 40 and the, and, and particularly the do you have his do you have his uh, short I, total time i've not got them in front of me what i have got is his relative athletic score which is uh, a metric composed by a good friend of mine kent lee platt who um it takes um relative scores um from short short or three cone vert broad um combined with size weight uh, bench press results and your speed time, so 40, 20, and 10-yard splits. And out of 10, Chad Moomer scored a 9.77. Um, yeah, because I, I heard this kid really shocked people at the combine with how well he moved. Yeah, and, and I think the, the, the assumption is when you see a guy like Chad Moomer, who is, you know, he's not as... Um, he's not as uh, light as some um, of... You know, we've talked about Christian Harris being 226, a guy we're going to talk about in a second, 229. Some of the um, – Brian Asamoa out of Oklahoma is a guy I like, 226. Um, there are a lot of um, more um, slender-looking linebacker prospects than Chad Moomer. So you you see this kid out of cowboy country, big, white kid. You think he's not going to be athletic, and you just – you know. He is, you know, he, he, he's, I can't remember his 40 time off the top of my head, but I, I remember 
and tweeting about it and going, look, this, this kid is the real deal from an athletic pro, um, perspective. And, and I'm going to tell you something. It, it's not just what he does in his measurables. You look at his tape, and look at his production at Wyoming. I mean, there are going to be some, and I would do it too, that are going to say, well, okay, Mountain West, right? You're not playing that elite back. You're not playing those elite players. But when you when you watch the tape, you just constantly see the kid. He's constantly making plays. And I think as well, you, you talk about level of uh, competition. And, and this, you know, there is something that does get leveled at group of five prospects. It's FCS prospects. Um, but when you see him amongst the best of the best at an event like the Senior Bowl, like Chad Moomer rocked up at the Senior Bowl and um, the linebacker drills there, he was, he was out of this world. And you talk about flow into the football. I think Jim Nagy, the, the head of the Senior Bowl, he put a, a video on um, with Chad Moomer and a couple of the other linebackers in a, in a drill. Flow into the football. Chad Moomer is such a natural mover and those that intelligence and the instincts that come with that just they're, they're evident. They're evident on the tape. All right. Now we got two guys left. I think they're both first rounders. Who got it too? So at two, we've got Georgia linebacker Nakobe Dean. And you could probably, as you said, both line, both first round prospects. Um, I think you could almost put a cigarette paper between them in terms of separating where they could go in the class. I, I'd be happy to hear an argument for either of these two as the, the top-ranked linebacker. They're very close on my um, top 300 big board next to each other at 15 and 16. Um, but for me, N'Kobe Dean is slightly smaller than Devin Lloyd, I think, and is noticeable on tape for me. Um, so the, the, the measurables are, uh, are what they are. You know, Dean comes in at just under six foot at 5'11". He's 229 pounds. He's um, under 32-inch arms when you compare him to Devin Lloyd. So he's, he's a noticeably smaller linebacker. And I think, rightly or wrongly, that'll be hold, um, held against him where the NFL is concerned. And you see sometimes on tape this that Nakobe Dean is that smaller backer. I did his summer scouting report, and looking back at his 2020 tape, he he was consistently stonewalled by bigger, stronger offensive tackles. Now, he's developed this year to be a much more productive player as a pass rusher and as a threat getting into the backfield against the run game. He's worked with his natural advantages, which is speed, lateral agility, some technical refinement. So he, he's worked to overcome some of that, and it's showed up with... You know, some, some great production, 10 and a half sack, uh, tackles for loss, six sacks, two forced fumbles, 72 total tackles. But that size that size issue is, for me, the sticking point between the two of them. But let, let's talk about what Nakobe Dean does well, and that is a hell of a lot. With The, the word intelligent we've used about 500 times already, um, but it is such an important aspect of playing linebacker, as we've, we've mentioned. There isn't a smarter kid. Um, on the football field and off the football field in this draft class, for me, than N'Kobe Dean. He's a, um, a mechanical engineering major. Like That is mind-blowing what it takes to, 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 take a, to, to get a major in that particular arena. So you know he's a smart kid. You listen to him. I had the, the fortune to be in and around the national championship um, press conferences um, of national championship week. And N'Kobe Dean just... Such an eloquent and well-spoken um, young man in terms of putting his thoughts together, um, and and you know we forget these are you know nineteen, twenty, twenty-one year old kids thrust into the national media, and he just handles that so well. And you see that on the football field as well. Natural leader, natural communicator, and that's so important when you're looking at particularly projection as a Mike linebacker in the NFL. How do you communicate? How do you? Um, understand and read the game, and be able to communicate pre-shift, uh, pre-snap shifts to your um, to your colleagues, to your teammates. Nakobe Dean does that so well. So the, that part of the game for Nakobe Dean, I don't think there is anyone better. And then as an athlete, um, fast. He's not ran at the the four uh, the NFL Combine or the Georgia Pro Day, which. There was some rumours today, and take rumours at this time of year with a pinch of uh, pinch of salt that there's potentially some knee 
issue with Nakobe Dean, which is uh, I've not seen reported ever before. So if, if it is true, it's something that's been very well hidden by the Georgia Athletic Department. Um, so he's not run, but you don't need to know how fast he runs a 40-yard dash to see how fast this kid plays on the football field. His ability to diagnose against the run and then just act upon those instincts, fly to the football, scrape so well across um, the, the formation in the run game. Lateral agility is insane. His, um, his ability as a, as a pass rusher, that lateral agility, that speed, just to navigate traffic, navigate offensive tackles. And this, this is what I mean. He's not the most physical of guy. He's not going to knock an offensive lineman to the ground and get over him. He's not going to get into a hand battle and win um, with with violent punches to, 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 to get an advantage that way. He's going to run around you. He's going to skip side to side past you. He's going to use that lateral agility to um, shoot into gaps. Um, the, the athletic upsides are incredible. The Football intelligence is incredible. The coverage ability, both in zone, um, with the ability to read and drop to correct depths in his zone, is is phenomenal. Um, as as a man to man coverage linebacker, he's going to stick with whatever he has to in terms of running running backs and, and bigger tight ends. The question mark is just the physicality, the size, um, with Nakobe Dean as to to his NFL projection. Well, you know there have been some pretty good NFL. Linebackers are no bigger than the Kobe Dean. Um, I, I'm gonna say say this: Kirby Smart at George does a great job. His staff does a great job of coaching, and the defense that they run is intricate and is a lot of things, a lot of moving parts, a lot of changes, a lot of checks, a lot of those kinds of things. And if this is the guy that's running the show, which it was, that tells me you got a guy that's going to come in and the playbook's not going to be too big for him. The communication's not going to be too big for him. And, you know, you mentioned 12 and a half tackles for loss. A lot of that is not on blitzes. It's just that he is so explosive. And when he, when he sees the ball declare, I mean, he is like a bullet and he's playing across the line of scrimmage. I mean, that 12 and a half, 12 and a half, TFLs and six sacks or whatever, you're talking about 18 plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's that's phenomenal production across the line of scrimmage for a, for a linebacker. Yeah, and, and this is, like you say, it's the explosion. The, um, when we talked about Lewis Seen on the, this, uh, when we were doing defensive backs last week, it's the same story. Diagnose and destroy. And that should be, like Kirby Smart should have that like tattooed on his arm and up in big letters on the, the Georgia Bulldogs dressing room in Athens, just saying diagnose and destroy, because that's what some of the best players that Georgia have produced in this cycle do. They're so smart. They diagnose every play so well. And and like you say, that explosive um, athletic profile that they possess just allows them to live in the backfield. All right. Well, let's go back out West to Salt Lake City, Utah, for a Utah Ute you have listed as the number one linebacker. Yes, sir. And we talk about production. Devin Lloyd is just, there are no words to describe Devin Lloyd's production. Not just this season, but in his entire Utah career. But let, let's talk about some of the production. 111 tackles. Now, tackles can be a misleading figure because he might be making them 20, 30 yards down the field routinely as a result of not being uh, up to up to scratch. But that's not the case where Devin Lloyd's concerned. Of those 111 tackles in 2021, 22 of those were tackles for loss. Seven sacks, four interceptions, one forced fumble. Now, we don't evaluate by numbers. We don't evaluate by statistics. But holy hell, those are some impressive numbers for Devin Lloyd. Uh, and, and that's not just this season. That is year on year, top level production. Now, not quite to those numbers, but year on year, top level production. Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year probably should have been the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year the previous year, as far as I'm concerned. But that's a contentious issue. We're not going to get into. Um, Devin Lloyd is a bigger man than Nakobe Dean. There's no questioning that. Six foot two, two hundred thirty-seven pounds. 33 inches, um, an incredible physical specimen to look at, 
in terms of the size, the stature, then he's an incredible specimen to watch play the game of football. Come, coming downhill, I, I, I wouldn't want to be the guy that has to stop Devin Lloyd coming downhill. He, For a guy of his size, he moves so well, like almost like he's teleported from one spot to the other on the football field. Like He's got some sort of teleportation device out there in Salt Lake City, and you cannot convince me otherwise. Um, when he comes downhill, he hits you and he hits you hard. Um, coverage ability is is great. Um, again, similar to, to a number of these top linebacker prospects, there's a common theme. You know, he understands um, zone coverage. He understands where he needs to be. He needs where he needs to drop to um, in zone coverage. He's just an incredible um, pro- processor. He's incre- incredibly intelligent. He's got sideline to sideline range as well. We talked about Nakobe Dean. These, this is what sets these two apart, I think, for me, is the leadership that they bring to a football team. Devin Lloyd could have declared for the NFL draft last year, but he came back to Utah. Unfinished business, I think, were his exact words, something along those lines. He wanted to bring a Pac-12 championship to Utah, which if you said that to people before the start of the season, they'd have gone, ah, come on, I'm not buying that. Devin Lloyd came back to Utah and delivered, helped deliver a Pac-12 championship to Utah. Nearly won a Rose Bowl, that, that incredible game against Ohio State on New Year's Day. Um, incredible leader, competitive toughness off the charts, physical presence, athletic ability, football intelligence. Devin Lloyd's your top-ranked linebacker in the 2022 NFL draft. I don't think he'll last midway through the first round so he is um he's around the midpoint of my top 300 board on our consensus big board at pro football network which combines four draft analysts um he's the 10th ranked overall player uh, in the class and you look at teams the, the issue for me where the linebacker class is you look at teams that need a linebacker philadelphia eagles are a team that need a linebacker they historically don't take linebackers in the first round haven't taken one since the 1970s or something like that and and almost as rare to take one in the second round and um, so the philadelphia eagles are a team that need linebacker but we, we feel pretty certain won't take one in the first round so that takes one team off the table i look at the new england patriots i look at the green bay packers as teams that need linebackers and um, detroit lions but i i don't see them jumping at two um, for a linebacker, so then you back down to thirty-two and thirty-four. Um, that that's my only um, not concern, uh, but in terms of projected draft range for Nakobe Dean and for Devon Lloyd, is I struggle to see where they're going to fit in this class where there's top loads of top edge prospects, loads of top cornerback prospects, loads of top offensive tackle prospects, lots of teams that need those positions. And then obviously the mix of the quarterback situation, which we know, regardless of whether you've got a first round grade on any of these quarterbacks, we know two, three quarterbacks are going to go in the first round as well. So it's finding landing spots um, for these these linebackers. But someone's going to get a steal potentially with Devin Lloyd or Nakobe Dean. And you know, Chad Moomer. <laughs> that, really, that really brings up a, a talking point because you're talking about an elite player, right? And you, you I mean, Everything you talked about is what says first round, early first round, all over him, all over him, right? And there are teams with teams with multiple first round draft or multiple first round draft picks and multiple needs. And I cannot believe that the Giants, the Jets, you know. Well, the Giants, the Giants is a great. So the Giants is, I think, is a potential. If we were looking at an early spot for someone like Devin Lloyd. The Giants is a great shout because they have, like you say, they've got multiple needs. You feel like offensive tackle is going to be one of those at five or seven. So seven potentially could be the New York Giants and Devin Lloyd. That's a, this is, that is a great shout um, where the Giants are concerned. Yeah. Well, I, I think the kid's a great player. I mean, there's no question he's a great player. And, you know, and, and sometimes I think if you're a UK listener or you don't follow – college football real close for the university utah to win a pac-12 championship and utah's got a great program and they have for a long time 
but you're talking about you're you're out doing Oregon, USC, UCLA, Arizona State, Stanford. I mean, you're talking about that is good football. And for the University of Utah to win a Pac-12 championship, and like you say, take an Ohio State team that was elite and battle them like they battle them in the Rose Bowl. There's a lot of reasons I like this kid, a lot of them, on and off the field. So whoever gets him is going to get a great, great player. Yeah, and and, and this is – and I heard you and Michael talking before I came on about – you know the the, the 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 day three and round three, round four, and the amount of quality players that are still going to be available um, in that range, just because of you know we we see things like the quarterback situation really impacting the the, the pecking order in the NFL draft. So yeah, the, so there's there's going to be multiple players that you come out of this NFL draft process and go X team got a steal with X player. No, no question. Hey, listen, great job with the linebackers. Who you got for us next week? I'm just trying to think what we've got left. I think we've got – we're saving wide receivers, right? Saving wide receivers right till the very end. Let's go with the edge class next That's week. Good. When I looked at the When I looked at the first round, I said half the teams in the first round need an edge player. Now, differing degrees of urgency – but half of the that's that's the NFL today. You got to have pass rushers, and you got to have two of them. You can't just have one. So, great job, yeah. Ollie. We'll, yeah, we'll see this. putting the ruler on the edge. <laughs> we will. We will. I'm looking forward to it. Ollie, thanks so much for your time, man. And Pro Football Network, PFN, Fleet Six Five on Twitter, Oliver Hodgkinson on Twitter as well. Uh, check it out. Big two weeks ahead. I can't wait to annoy you at 3 a.m. and draft night, Ollie. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'll be awake. I'll like, I'll go. I'll get up at eight o'clock on the Thursday morning, and I'll still be awake at 3 p.m. on the Sunday afternoon. So yeah, you <laughs> hit me up. Hit me up whenever you need. Nice ones are here. Chat soon. All the best, Ollie. See you next week. Nice one. Uh, I hear uh, people's draft in two weeks. That was that, that was a really good listen, Jeff. Linebacker, he really, does, really good. But he does a great job. I'm, I'm, you know, and and uh, you know, it's not just. There's a lot of guys out there that, you know, there's a thing we call scout speak, right? And the little slogans that they use and, you know, but, and they throw those words around, but they don't really know what they're talking about. They just heard the, you know, they heard the term. But when I, when I talk to Ali, I, you know, Ali watches film. That's the thing that, that, you know, he doesn't, and he doesn't watch a highlight tape. He watches the whole game. And that's how you really can evaluate people. Very enjoyable conversation. Uh, definitely, uh, I would say the best out there. You know, at the minute, in, in terms of the UK, like covering a draft in that detail all year round as well. So check check out all you on, on Twitter. We'll, we'll link up his Twitter account. Jeff, we, we have a couple of things to wrap up before we round off tonight. Over two thousand people have watched this show when Chelsea are playing in the Champions League. You should be very proud, man. Uh, and well done to Villarreal for beating Bayern Munich. If you're watching live, uh, look. First off, this My Hawaii segment, do you want to explain this this week? Because I'm not going to lie to you, Jeff. Jeff got a new camera, folks, and a new phone. And the audio in this one, I hope it works, but it's a wee bit like, oh, my God. So do you want to just explain it first off, Jeff, just in case? Yeah, this is a, it's the, it's the legend of the Naha Stone. Now, this is a huge, a huge stone that was transported by a, a canoe from Kauai, which is all the way at the other end of the Hawaiian chain, down here to the Big Island. And it was used as a authentic, I guess, an authentication <laughs> or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you were a child of a, of a chief, you would, you would authenticate your, uh, your your bloodline they would put the baby on the stone and if the baby did not cry he was considered legit if the baby fussed or cried then he was he was sent to you know they didn't banish him to the you know they just denied him to another family and then it's a bit like the nfl draft jeff yeah well and then then also you know like like your story in England with the with the with the sword in uh, 
in the stone, it was said that whoever can lift the Naha stone will, will unite the nine Hawaiian islands, right? And King Kamehameha at 14 years old lifted this. I mean, it's monstrous. And he lifted this stone. Now, the crazy thing about that legend is that when Kamehameha became the king of the island of Hawaii, he set out and years later conquered all of the islands and unified them under under his you know rule. And so there is it is a very powerful powerful piece of history and it sits outside the public library in Hilo. Here we go. Here it is. Hey, aloha and welcome to My Hawaii. We are at the Hilo Public Library. We bought the, brought the van and parked and I wanted to show you, this is a what's known as the Naha Stone. Now this stone has incredible mana or cultural significance in, to Hawaiians. This stone was brought here from the west side of Kauai, uh, which is almost at the other end of the Hawaiian chain. And it was brought here by Double Home Canoe. And the story of the stone is that Ali'i children, when they were when they were placed on the stone, if they did not cry, then they that was significant of their chiefly status. And the legend was that at some point someone would be able to lift the stone, and that person would go on and unify the Hawaiian island, the the nine islands. And Kamehameha the Great, at 14 years old, lifted this stone. Now you can see how gigantic this piece of stone is, this volcanic rock. And Kamehameha, at 14, lifted this stone and then went on, as history would tell us, then went on and unified the entire Hawaiian chain into one island nation, Hawaii. And so the Na'a stone has a significant place in Hawaiian history. Jeff, very interesting. And I have to say now, uh, there's a Wi-Fi zone in that library, it says there. So if you are struggling with the Wi-Fi, Jeff, you have no excuses. Get to that public library, my friend. Uh, final segment tonight, uh, you're, you're inside the game segment in Sky. What is it? Talk to us about it before we put it up. Well, you know, when we were watching the Packers beat the Rams a couple years ago, the Packers offensive line did an amazing job of handling Aaron Donald. And there were some things that they did, you know, physically, and but there were some things that they did from a schematic standpoint to make sure that they could account for Donald on every play. And the Rams linebackers were playing so deep at that time that, you, you know, it, it was really, it was almost unfair. And if you remember that game, Aaron Donald did not play very well. And, you know, a, a lot of that credit needs to go to the Packer offensive line. And we, we uh, showed you how they nullified one of the greatest players to ever play defense in the NFL. Here is the final segment of tonight's show. Uh, Leonard Fournette has resurrected his career in Tampa Bay. But, you know, here's the reason. This, this, this play, play worked. worked. Mike, Mike Pettin likes, likes to play, to play light, what we call light on defense. defense. So, so everything, everything about run defense is all about gap cancellation. cancellation. And you, you can, can see when they bring in hey, the, the extra offensive linemen, they create another gap. gap. So, so there are eight gaps that the Packers have to defend, and they don't have enough people. So what you see is this tackle's here, this tackle's here. Now this backer has to jump over to the A gap, leaving the back with Sean Gary on the backside to have to play two gaps. Now watch he jumps, jumps underneath, underneath to get, get into, into the beam gap, gap and you're going to see Tristan Wirfs, that young player that Baldy talked about. This tackle is outstanding. He just takes Gary and buries him. Now, right here, Jair Alexander, you have got to get the outside hip. Tackle the outside hip, not the inside. If you take the outside hip, you've got a chance. Bad, bad tackling and one gap shot. Well, I'm looking like a, a young spring chicken, Jeff. It, well, I apologize. It was the Tampa Bay run game, uh, you know, uh, against the Packers. So um, I thought I, I had sent you the uh, Packers offensive line, but hey, it was good. 
It's late in Ireland. You're you're yawning on the show. It's, you're killing me. Here, I have to say, I, I do have to jump. However, I really enjoy that talk about linebackers and the, the people's draft is a mere two weeks away. There's rumors you're going to Vegas. Maybe put everything well, on red. About me being in Vegas, but more importantly, the people's draft is on. So if you want to be a participant in the people's draft, you want to call your team's first round draft pick, you better hook up with Mike and let us know. Hit us on Twitter. Yeah, I'm going to put more information out around like Easter Sunday, Easter Monday time when people are off work uh, to get them involved. We'll do that during the week. That week, uh, if you're celebrating, happy Easter. Enjoy the weekend, Jeff, in, in Hawaii. I have to bounce. We'll chat to you soon, man. Mahalo. Thanks for everyone who's putting comments. Enjoyed it. Uh, until, until next week, man. Thanks a million. Thank you, everybody.